In April of 1985, a major corporation took one of the biggest risks in the history of consumer products. Does anyone know what that risk was? It was New Coke, exactly. Many of you uh, may have survived this uh, experience. Uh, Preston, I'm not clicking, but yeah, we'll work it out. Um, New Coke was a really interesting thing. What had happened is between 1970 and 1985, Coca-Cola had had an increasingly dwindling, um, uh, had had an increasingly dwindling market share. Pepsi was selling more and more and more product, and less and less people were buying Coke. And so they tried a new product called Diet Coke that everyone loved, did really well, sold greatly. And I know this is going to sound bizarre to you, but in the same way that Coke, uh, Coke Zero is now a product that is meant to be zero sugar but tastes like Coke, New Coke was designed to be the opposite. It was a product that tasted like Diet Coke but had sugar in it. And it sounds crazy to us. We know that this is a failed experiment, and so we're like, oh, what happened? But the reality is this thing taste tested through the roof. Coca-Cola did a ton of work on this new Coke product to make sure that people liked it. And in every taste test they did, everyone liked it better than Coca-Cola and even better than Pepsi. They knew it was going to succeed. And it came out, and within three months, they already had backtracked their plan to change the recipe for Coke or the new Coke. And the problem was very simple. It was nothing more the nostalgia. People didn't like that it was new. And so there were these organizations that were starting a Bring Back Our Coke campaign, and even the leaders of those organizations in blind taste tests preferred new Coke to old Coke. Yet they were spending thousands of dollars and volunteer hours to fight to kill new Coke. And it's in part because... Coca-Cola did these advertisements forever. Coca-Cola said made you feel warm and comfortable with their brand, and it just felt like home, and it was normal, and people just liked how it felt. And even though in a blind taste test they always said they liked new Coke better, they fought to get old Coke. And so eventually that happened. That's why Coca-Cola Classic was on your cans for a long, long time. They don't make new Coke anymore. But even long after it was gone, Coca-Cola, I think just annoyed at what happened, continued to do taste tests. And in every test they ever did, they got almost unanimous approval that New Coke tasted better than Coca-Cola Classic. Why? Because we hate change. That's just who we are as people. Like, that's humanity. Something new and something different feels really uncomfortable and we will cling to what is old and what feels comfortable because it just helps us feel better about the world we've been going through the book of exodus as a church and how many times have we heard the israelites say what phrase if only we'd stayed back in egypt these are people who were liberated from slavery and yet they are still saying if only i was back in the old slave land it's amazing that the Israelites could continue to want to go back to an old life like that. 
But we've talked in our, 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 our study together on our feast groups about how that's how human beings are. That many people can be in a destructive situation and they don't want to leave it because they at least understand the, the destructive situation. They're used to it. They're comfortable. Because we do not like to change and to do new things. Um, but change is part of life. Uh, many of you guys read this letter. Bruce wrote this very beautiful letter this week about what's going on with Blackstone coming down to join us uh, for these few weeks and this process we're going through. And I felt like today we had to be honest about the fact that there's a lot of change, that it's really different. And our gut instinct will to like to not like change, any of us, whether it's our feast people who are like, my pew is not available this morning, or uh, some of you had a much farther ride to church this morning than you probably usually have. All these little changes, we tend to not like them, but we need them. This is what Bruce wrote this week. This change, Blackstone coming down to the feast, is a major shift, but change with God's leading is the story of the faith-filled people in the Bible. No one can grow spiritually without major changes in their life. I believe this change is God's leading and is in God's hand. So I want to talk about change. I wanted to have a passage where we could talk about what it looks like and what it feels like to change. And so we're going to meet the church at a particularly difficult moment. We're going to read the very, very end of the book of Luke. And the church at this point is dealing with mourning. Jesus has died. He's been crucified. And the, the disciples are all torn apart. They don't know what to do about it. They're feeling pain. They're feeling loss. They're understanding that the world is different. And on top of that, they're hearing all these rumors now from the women at the tomb or from the two that had gone on the road to Emmaus that said that Jesus is alive again, that he's been resurrected, that he's living and it has to have thrown them into all kinds of confusion and all kinds of uncertainty. What does this mean? How are things going to change? Even if Jesus is back, is Jesus resurrected just like Jesus alive? How is this going to be different? And this is what Luke tells us happened. While they were still talking about the, the road to Emmaus and Jesus' appearance to those disciples, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? Why, do, you, why are, do, you, do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Jesus returns to them, and uh, it's interesting that he sits down to eat a meal with them. This is the theme of Luke. As the feast, we love all of these stories. Jesus is always eating with people. They know that it's Jesus when he sits down to have lunch. And so Jesus comes, and I love the comfort he provides them. He says, peace be with you. He wants them to calm down. Don't worry. He goes into a whole conversation about ghosts. Okay, what is a ghost and what's not a ghost? He's like, I have 
flesh and blood. I'm not a ghost. This is a fascinating conversation. This is like the nerdiest, you know, what counts as a ghost and what doesn't count as a ghost. I imagine the disciples having this conversation with Jesus. And he then says, do you guys have anything to eat? They bring him some fish. Uh, He's just trying to normalize the situation. He goes, hey, guys, I'm hungry. Can I have something? They're seeing the resurrected Lord, and they're thinking about what it means. And Jesus goes, let's just sit down and eat. Uh, This is a great teaching for us that often the best thing you can do when you're stressed out is to chill out and have a snack. I mean, it sounds very silly, right? But this is the way Jesus handles this. He's like, hey, let's, let's chill the anxiety down. No one likes to hear, be less anxious. That's a terrible thing to tell someone who's anxious. But that's kind of what Jesus says, peace be with you. Uh, Very rarely does the anxiety help us. In fact, Jesus talks about only worrying about today's worry. Don't worry about tomorrow or the day after and all that stuff. Just focus on today and getting through today. And so he immediately tries to calm them down. But he also shows them the, the scars and the wounds in his hands and his feet. He's trying to show them that there's continuity. Everything is different except for me. I'm still Jesus. I still believe in the things I always believed in, and I've got the same body. I'm the same man that I have always been. He wants them to know that even through the changes, there's some things that stay the same. Not everything is different. And then he clarifies that this has always been God's purpose. Often uh, we get it wrong. We see Jesus' death, and we go, how could the, the Messiah have died? This is how the early disciples felt. How could the Messiah have died? And Jesus looks at him and goes, how could the Messiah have not died? This is always what we were about. This is always where we were going. It might feel different today, but we're still going to the same place that we had always planned on being. Uh, He continues, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in this name, in his name, to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Jesus is uh, telling them that this is all part of the original plan. This is always what God had intended. That God, the death and resurrection was always a piece of God's plan. And he reminds them that there's meaning in their pain. That their difficulty is opening the door to something new. And that's usually how life works. Our, our pain and our struggles, the things that we're not comfortable with, are often to grow us and to pry us open and to get us excited about doing something new that God is going to work in his world. And Jesus then drops on them mega hints. Now, we lack biblical literacy sometimes, not fussing at anyone in particular. I'm a preacher. It's my job to help fix that, right? But we sometimes don't know the Bible as well as we should. There's this uh, series of themes that bring hope in the Bible, these series of things that would have sprung in their mind, this belief that something new and something greater was happening. Uh, and we call these uh, theories, series of themes the restoration of Israel. I said something that made Siri think I was talking to her. That's amazing. Okay. Uh, there's a series of themes called the restoration of Israel. And this is all throughout the prophets, where the prophets continue to tell God's people, this is what to look for when God is going to restore Israel. And by that, he means bring his kingdom. Jesus calls this the kingdom coming. 
I put four of those elements here on our screen. One of them is a Davidic king. That's David, uh, Michelangelo's David. David was the great king of all Israel. And so there was always this hope there would be another in his line that would help his people. Uh, another is the nations, that at some point God is going to reach out to all nations and all peoples, not just the Jewish people. There is the theme of Jerusalem and the temple, that God would do this work all at the nexus of Jerusalem. And finally, there's the teaching about the Holy Spirit, the idea that the Holy Spirit and God's Spirit would be poured out on all people. Notice now, as we go through this passage again, how Jesus hits these in rapid fire. This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. We tend not to think about it, but that word Messiah is a David word. Messiah means the anointed one, the king. And the, the only Messiah there could be is the son of David. Those words are always grouped together. When Jesus says the Messiah has come, he's using royal language to make them think of the great kings of Israel. And then later he says there will be pre uh, forgiveness of sins will be preached to all nations. Here he's talking about that theme of the Gentiles being welcomed in, the idea that all nations would experience God's goodness. And where will that begin? It's going to begin at Jerusalem. And so we have this uh, drawing to the city of Jerusalem. And finally, now this is a little more code for us. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, power from on high. This language is clearly Holy Spirit language. Uh, the, the promise of the Father throughout the New Testament always talks about the Holy Spirit. So what's the point other than a little bit of uh, Bible education for a moment? These suite of themes, these things all grouped together, they're the whole enchilada. They're the thing that they had all been desiring. The thing that all Israel had been hungering for for hundreds of years. And as the disciples look at him and goes, what's going on? Why did you die? Why were you resurrected? What's happening? Jesus is saying, we're close to the goal now. We are moving to what God always wanted us to do. We are going to be part of God's work in the world that he's always promised. I am the king in the line of David. And we're going to bring all the nations to come to know him. It's going to start right here in Jerusalem, just like God always said. And then ultimately the Holy Spirit is going to get poured out so that we can be empowered to do this mission. What Jesus tells them very clearly and very plainly is that the pain of change is the catalyst for finally accomplishing the purposes of God. And that that's usually how it works for us. That when things change, they open us up for God to work afresh and anew. If you think back to the times in your life where you've had the most spiritual growth, it probably was a time where you're also going through something difficult. You can think of a way you've learned to trust in God. For a lot of us, it's college. College was a moment uh, for some of us that we really started to know who God is and what God was doing in our lives. Jesus says that goal is coming close and is right around the corner. So here's the problem we've got. We don't like change, thus New Coke, right? We do not like the world being different. And God has this obnoxious preoccupation with forcing us to change so that we're more in his purposes. The Bible talks about this as a potter who uses clay and pushes it in and out and shapes us and forms us and pinches us 
and just changes our whole complexion so that we become the vessel he desires for us to be. And when we look at um, that, that's the tension, we just have to realize that often what God wants for us is the very thing we don't want for ourselves. That change is often the thing we don't want, but the thing that he wants to do. And as we accept that and we grow it, Jesus' word here encourages us to roll with those changes because we know that they drive kingdom work, that the change and the pinching is a way for him to then start something new and to go to someplace new. I want to finish by spending just a moment on the Holy Spirit in this passage. Jesus had this really interesting belief that the Holy Spirit indwelling humanity was better than his physical presence. This is weird for us because many of us, if we said, hey, you could have dinner with Jesus, would be like, I'm so excited. This is great. Like the actual being face to face in front of Jesus, the thing that we want so badly and so deeply. But Jesus throughout the New Testament is very clear. I need to go away so that the spirit can be sent to you. Because Jesus believed that the indwelling spirit would cause the disciples to do even more and greater work than what Jesus did in person. That sounds like heresy, but it is very clearly in the scriptures that Jesus thought the Holy Spirit would empower them to go on and do even greater things once he had left. That's the way the Holy Spirit works in our world. It's the way he works in our lives. He unleashes new kingdom work. And Jesus is so pumped. He's like, don't worry about I'll be gone, but who cares? Because the Holy Spirit's coming, and that's when you're going to really start cooking. That's where things are going to start sizzling, is when I'm gone and the Spirit comes so that you can really go and be engaged in the work that God is doing. And that's the power that we have today. That is the power promised to us, uh, that in our baptisms that we receive the Holy Spirit, that we have that power working in our lives. And I want to encourage us to lean into that. That as we think about how do I deal with change and how does it propel me into the future, one of the things that happens is the Spirit is often the one who is changing us. And the Spirit is the one that is prepping us for good, new, beautiful work. And that that's something we just got to learn to embrace and to accept. Uh, the reality of today is uh, I never know exactly where everyone in the room is. Some of you might hear change and you're thinking, oh, no, not again. I really don't like that. And hearing uh, a young whippersnapper like myself talk about, hey, change is great and good. You know, you just want to throw tomatoes at me. And that's fine. I get living in that place and I get that emotion. Others of you, some of our, probably particularly some of our feast people, are like, hey, this room's really full. I'm really excited. I'm like, you're just totally stoked and ready to go and, you know, go fight the world. Either way, as this relationship develops, it's going to mean change and it's going to get annoying at times. I'm confident. And there's going to be things that we all have to process. But I pray that we can take the heart of Jesus, that that change can be a way that the Spirit opens us for his flowing into new and beautiful and incredible places. And embracing that and going, okay, I'm on for the ride. Let's go. Where are we headed? Is something that Jesus always wanted them to do, and the disciples always were so uh, leery to do. I pray that we would lean into the Spirit's guidance and that God might give us peace in our changes so that we have the power to charge into our new kingdom future. 
uh, go ahead. Uh, we're going to ask our praise team to come back up and to uh, go ahead and do one more song for us. As they play this song and sing this song, you can obviously sing along, but if you have questions, fill out those little question cards or prayer requests. At the end of the sermon or the song, I'll collect those up. We'll go through our questions. We'll pray, and then uh, we'll dismiss. Uh, the one question we got is, uh, what are some examples of kind of uh, sp spiritually preparing for what's next or what's new or where we're going? Uh, and that's a really good question. Uh, one of those, I think, is just um, is uh, just emptying ourself, uh, being willing to um, – our will gets so messed up with God's will, right? The things that we want, the things that we like. And so just having times in prayer to say, God, I'm ready to do what you want me to do. And then just consciously, maybe you've done a brainstorming exercise where we say, there's no bad ideas. And the first guy who talks has a terrible idea. And you're like, oh, geez, man, we said no bad ideas. You got to stop yourself. Okay, well, it's that way sometimes with preparing ourselves spiritually for God to do new things is God, there are no bad ideas. Whatever you call me to do, really? That's the first thing on your mind, you know? Like, uh, and so dealing with that is, um, is helpful. I am? Okay. All right. Um, so, yeah, I think that's helpful. Uh, does that answer the question? Awesome. All right. Um, guys, thank you for being here. Uh, we've got food for you uh, all ready to go after this. And so we will... Uh, Encourage you to stay around and enjoy yourselves, get to know folks. Uh, we've done a series of meals to help people get to know each other. There's another one of those coming up in a couple of Fridays. The Borchers will host one if you've been wanting to do that and haven't got a chance to do it. Uh, that would be great. I'm going to pray for us. I'll go through these prayer requests as well and as we do that, and then we'll be finished. Let's pray.